Well, we're going to be turning now to God's Word for uh, a reflection on uh, a passage from 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to be looking at the, uh, the topic of work, and we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Church of Corinth. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Uh, this is a, a rich uh, passage on the theme of work, and it's been something that's been meaningful to me over the years and excited to spend a couple minutes reflecting on it this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to our passage. It's also printed in our bulletin where you can read it as well. This is 1 Corinthians 7, uh, starting at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let me pray for our time together. Gracious Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher now. As we look at your word, we pray that, um, uh, that we would uh, have our hearts stirred to more deeper and deeper love for you and the work that you're doing in this world, for your reign and for your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be looking at this topic, uh, this passage, to reflect on the topic of work. And uh, you might have read this and you think to yourself, uh, this passage clearly doesn't have anything to do with work. Uh, the word work is not used in there at all. It's not immediately obvious that he's talking to people who are quarry men or uh, dying fabrics or whatever else people did in the first century. Uh, but actually, this passage uh, throughout church history has been uh, considered a classic uh, exploration on the theme of work. And uh, where, you, uh, where you see that most is in the word calling. And the word calling is used eight different times in this passage. And this uh, notion of work and calling being tied together is especially rich in the Protestant tradition. A lot of people have written about this. And so as we're exploring this, we're going to be in some ways attending to what Paul means uh, with the, this, uh, the word calling in particular. It's also worth noting before we jump in, what do we actually mean by work? Uh, if you were thinking about conversations you've had in recent weeks where you use the word work, it's not immediately obvious what we think about work. Uh, sometimes we talk about going to work. Other times we'll say things like, I was at work, but I didn't really work. And so what do we mean by work? Well, uh, work is, uh, from a biblical perspective, is actually much broader and, and uh, multidimensional than we typically think it is. And work is fundamentally stewarding God's creation. Uh, God has created this world. He's made us to be stewards of it. And any type of activity where we're stewarding God's creation, we're actually working. And so this certainly includes employment, uh, the jobs that you have or have had. That's part of work. Uh, but work is also much broader than that. Uh, if you are retired, 
uh, you can still be working in some ways. You have relationships, you have stuff. Uh, you're working from a biblical perspective as you're uh, managing and stewarding this. If you're a homemaker, you manage uh, your home, you take care of kids all day, uh, you are definitely working, especially. And uh, if you're a student as well, uh, doing homework, uh, taking tests, all of this is a kind of work. And so as, as we're reflecting on what work actually means, uh, it's important to us that we have in mind employment, uh, but we also think about really more broadly what, what the Bible means by work, which includes anything that involves stewardship of God's creation. So what does Paul, the Apostle Paul have to actually say about work? Well, we're going to focus on two big ideas, and the first one is this. Uh, Paul tells us that our work is assigned to us by God. God assigns to us the work we have. Let me put to you how uh, Paul describes this in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Here Paul is telling us that the lives people have, the occupations, the stations, uh, the callings, are all assigned to them by God. And if we look a few verses later to see who he's talking to and to appreciate what he's really getting at, He's talking to both slaves and someone he calls freedmen. And slavery was an ancient practice in the first century world, and it looked a little bit different than what it does uh, throughout our kind of history in North America. But it was still a situation where you didn't own yourself and you didn't have a lot of rights uh, that came with being a slave. He also tells us uh, that uh, these slaves were likely in the church of Corinth. So it was interesting, this new church in the first century had slaves in it, and also had their opposites, which were the freedmen. And the freedmen were people who owned themselves, who had rights and privileges that came from being part of their communities. And what's so interesting about this is Paul's looking at these two very, very different kinds of people that are sitting in pews just like you all, and he's telling them uh, that the uh, work that they have, the callings that they have in their life, being a slave and being free, are things that God himself has actually assigned to them. And that would be an interesting statement if you were a slave sitting in a church service listening to Paul's letter. That would be very, very interesting to hear him say that. And so what does he mean by uh, this notion of assignment? Well, what Paul is talking about is a a very rich uh, theological concept called providence. And a providence is simply God's expression of his rule and oversight over his created world. And in fact, uh, you may not know this, but our church is part of a rich theological tradition that has spent a lot of time developing uh, an understanding of providence. And one of the ways where this is expressed is in our creeds and confessions, and uh, I find these to be very beautiful and rich and and, uh, rhetorically uh, compelling. And so I'm going to read to you just a couple uh, little snippets of what these creeds and confessions say about uh, this notion of providence. Providence. This first one is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, written in the 1600s, and uh, it's actually the uh, doctrinal uh, document that that regulates our church's uh, theology here. So uh, this is what it says in the opening lines about providence. God, as the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his wise and holy providence. What the Westminster tells us is that creation was not just a past event, but that God as creator is still engaging and leading into his world. 
And uh, there is no part of his world that is uninteresting to him. Uh, there is no part of the creation that he finds boring, that he is instead actually very uh, uh, interested in and uh, influential in every single part of the created world. And you would imagine, what would this mean for a slave to hear this in the first century? Uh, that the God who was so powerful to make everything uh, way back in creation and who is now powerfully engaging kings and supernovas and whales and all sorts of really cool stuff also cares about a slave, somebody who has no rights, doesn't even own themselves. Well, there is another uh, doctrinal uh, statement made about 80 years before the Westminster called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it also has a, uh, a rich uh, description of um, the doctrine of providence. And if you've ever read the Heidelberg, it reads in a very kind of devotional way. And it asks a question about providence and asks something like, uh, why does this doctrine even matter to us? <laughs> What's the big deal? And here's what it says, why do- providence actually matters to us. It says this. It helps you be patient when things go against you. It helps you to be thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation can separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will, they can neither move or even be moved. God's will is so attentively that things can neither move or be moved in this world. And it's all motivated by his love for creation. And many times we turn the doctrine of providence into something that's abstract, philosophical, we muse on it. And there's good reasons to do that, but it's also a doctrine which uh, relates very uh, uh, significantly to our practical day-to-day experiences. And what it's telling us here is that when life is hard, God's providence can be an encouragement to you. And that when you have success, God's providence will keep you humble and grateful. And uh, that when uh, we are looking at the circumstances of our lives, God is a, uh, a continued active uh, creator is directing these and purposing them in some way. And so Paul is is telling these slaves as they look at the circumstances of their lives that they are actually experiencing God's creative care reaching into their life. Very compelling. This fact of God's assignments of our callings and jobs I think gives encouragement to us because uh, so often in life we feel like we are um, uh, a victim of our own circumstances or our own mistakes and poor decisions And here, uh, you can imagine what the slaves would have been thinking about their inner thought life as they're um, imagining what it's like to be a slave. Uh, They probably would have thought things like, uh, maybe they don't have a lot of worth, maybe they don't matter. Maybe if they became a slave somewhere in their lifetime, they probably spent thousands and thousands of times rehashing all the events that led them into slavery, thinking about what all the what ifs, all the ways they could have gotten it right. And uh, what this doctrine of providence means to them is that God has actually uh, assigned to them these circumstances of their lives, Uh, that they are not victims of fate, they're not stuck in a pit made by their own poor decisions, uh, but God himself has actually put them there. And uh, we don't have slavery in our our modern world for the most part, Um, but there are plenty of awful jobs out there and uh, plenty of awful callings, and it's easy to blame ourselves or resent other people and Certainly a a part of all this is that God has providentially assigned the things that we have in our life to us, and it's motivated by his creative uh, love for us. Now a question and maybe an objection that would naturally rise out of this and, and maybe even should rise out of this is wondering if we're actually really just uh, helpless with the circumstances of our lives 
if the God who made everything, who controls everything, is also directing uh, all the particulars of our lives, are we not in some way kind of tied up with some sort of fatalism? Are we not just passive agents in life? Um, there's even an ad- additional thought we could have to this. Uh, we could wonder if, if God is assigning people to slavery, slavery is clearly evil, is God's character not in some way uh, called in the question? And those are important questions, and in fact, uh, people have actually used these in, uh, use this line of thinking in, in bad ways. Um, Martin Luther, who did such a great job developing the theology of calling, also used uh, the theology of calling to uh, condemn the peasant revolts. And uh, during his time, there was a number of different peasant revolts. He condemned them on the basis that peasants weren't actually living out their assigned stations of life that God had given to them. They wanted more than they were supposed to have. And so Christians have gone a little wry with this. There are some interesting questions to think about this. Uh, what I will say is, is that these are very rich, uh, uh, intellectually rich and complex topics that many, many smart people have thought about for centuries, and we're certainly not going to dig into this at all. But what we will do is uh, we'll look at our passage and we'll say, is, um, does Paul have anything that might dovetail with some of these questions which do arise? And uh, I think he does have something that we can at least uh, highlight, and that is what he says in verse 21. He says this, were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. He says right after that, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. And so we have, as Paul is uh, describing this rich notion of, of providence, of assignments, of different callings, he's also not a beyond saying uh, that there are things that deserve to be uh, condemned, that we are not passive agents in our lives, and that we do have a right to both condemn certain evil situations and also work actively to change them. And uh, while that's maybe not an answer to the things like the problem of evil, I think it is saying that Paul is not insensitive to this and that he has been uh, certainly thoughtful about the implications of of providence. So while we're uh, allowed to leave the circumstances of our lives, uh, the fact does remain that we are supposed to walk in our callings, as he says in verse 17. If God's called you to be a student, we're supposed to be walking into this calling. God's called you to be a homemaker. We're supposed to walk in this calling. If God's called you to be a mechanic or a bookkeeper or a teacher, God's called you to walk in these callings as well. Uh, Paul puts this in the imperative. He says this is a rule. In fact, his word of assignment is an actual command. And uh, uh, what we're called to embrace uh, is our callings. And this is where we find meaning and purpose in our lives because we have God transcendently uh, entering into our lives. I love how one of the commentators put it. He said, uh, man is not called to a new occupation. His occupation takes on new significance. And so as we learn to walk in our callings, uh, they take on new significance and new meaning and wait for us. So we've said that God assigns to us our callings. That's one of the big parts of this passage. Well, here's the other one, the second one. And that is that our spiritual callings direct our vocational callings. Our spiritual callings direct our vocational callings. Let me read to you how Paul puts this in verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Paul is, is telling us uh, that your vocation, if you were a slave back in the first century, you were a bondservant in the first century, in some ways you were actually a freedman to the Lord. The opposite is true. If your uh, vocational calling was to be a freedman, 
you are actually a slave in Christ. And so let's unpack what he means by this a little bit. If you're a slave, you don't own yourself, you don't have any rights, and um, you might think that's all there is to your life, but because of the impact of the gospel, uh, what we're saying is our, our spiritual identities and roles actually take on deeper and more ultimate meaning. And Paul uses this same language that he used with vocational callings to also talk about our, our spiritual callings as well. And what is uh, fundamental to uh, uh, Christian spirituality is that uh, our hearts, by default, live in a kind of spiritual slavery, uh, that our hearts are bent in on ourselves, against God, against other people, and we need a kind of a liberation from all this. And that Christ's work on the cross is actually to liberate us and offer us a kind of spiritual freedom and a life with him. And uh, what happens when we do this Uh, This new identity with Christ is so controlling, so ultimate, that in a sense it relativizes our other vocational callings that we have. Not making them trivial, but it does relativize them and giving them uh, something of secondary importance. I like how Paul uh, plays on the words here with the slaves. He says that uh, the Lord has called you, and the the word Lord can oftentimes be translated as master, And so here he's saying that you were called as a slave by a master, and now you get to be a freedman to a new kind of master. And uh, so what he's saying is that this this new life with Christ, while he is your master, it is completely unlike the kind of slavery that you experienced um, uh, as a vocational slave. The opposite is also true. Someone who had the vocational calling of a, a freedman Paul uses a very strong language. He says, you're actually a slave. And the impact of Christ uh, in this person's life is to make them, in some ways, a spiritual slave. And uh, I had a a philosophy professor in college who uh, would, uh, sometimes people would ask him, what do you think of Christianity? And he would always kind of quip, he'd say, "Um, uh, why would anybody want to become a slave? (laughs) And so, and uh, he was a a funny guy and being uh, kind of comical, but uh, you know, he missed what uh, it actually means to be a slave. And uh, what, what that means is that uh, we are, um, every part of our life is directed by Christ and that we don't get to uh, call the terms for our life. Um, our calendar, our relationships, our skills, our plans, our desires and, and beliefs all are um, under the mastery of Christ and directed by him. And so this, this freed man who would be sitting in a pew next to a slave would have heard this and he would have thought, I'm definitely not better than that slave. And he would have thought, oh gosh, I'm never, I'm never more than a slave, in a sense. And so for him, um, his spiritual calling relativizes his vocational calling. And as we're reading this, it might, uh, uh, we might think that Paul is, is kind of just being rhetorically clever with language. He's using slave and free with a couple different meanings. Uh, but there's actually something much deeper going on here uh, as Paul is talking about the impact of spiritual calling on our vocational callings. Uh, what he is doing is actually uh, deeply countercultural, and uh, we can see that in, in how Paul uh, describes things in verse 23. He says, "You are bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men." Uh, what was happening in the ancient world is exactly what happens in our modern one as well. Uh, we look at people's vocations to tell how much worth they have. Uh, Someone's job determines what the value is they have. Certain kinds of jobs have certain kinds of value in our society, 
uh, maybe a job has more value and therefore we would assume that that person has more worth and significance. The opposite is also true, that perhaps a job has less value, less significance, and we say that person themselves is less significant and less important. And uh, what, what Paul is, is saying here, that the gospel is supposed to impress itself on a community in a countercultural way where we don't think like that. Uh, we don't look at each other, we don't talk to each other, we don't form our relationships uh, based on people's vocational callings and the way culture assigns value and worth to them. Uh, someone who is lowly in the world uh, has to remember that they've actually been made heirs of the world to come. And someone who is important in the world has to remember that in God's economy, they're nothing more or less than just a slave to Christ. The gospel turns upside down how the culture thinks about our callings and our value and our significance. This reminds me of a family member uh, who was significantly changed by the gospel, and this person um, spent much of their life climbing the corporate ladder. They were very successful. Uh, they were a C-level executive in charge of a large investment company by the height of their career. And uh, they worked in this large office building, and, and to get to their office building, they would have to walk past this line of people that were all lined up to be uh, taking, uh, participating in, in government vouchers. And uh, this person would walk past this line of people, and he would just look at them and just had nothing but resentment for them. And uh, the gospel eventually began to make inroads into this person's heart. And uh, one of the first impacts that had on this person uh, was actually that that line of people outside their, their office, they would actually begin to make eye contact with the people. And they would actually begin to smile at the people. And as the gospel made a little more, got a couple more layers down in that person's heart, they would actually walk a little slower past that line. And when people smiled back and made eye contact back, they would actually pause, pause on their way to a busy day ahead, and actually strike up conversation with those people. And the gospel began to make deeper inroads into this person's heart, and they began to change their social circles, the people that they invited over on Friday nights, the people they considered their friends. Uh, they began to have a heart that was tender and soft and could even shed a tear or two uh, when somebody was broken and downtrodden. What was happening in this person's heart is exactly what Paul wants to happen in each of our own hearts, is where we look at the callings that we each have, and we don't use that as a barrier or opportunity to building friendship, uh, inviting people, allowing people to take uh, part in our calendars, things like this, but we actually allow the gospel to subvert the cultural values of worth and replace it with gospel values. And the reason for this is because of, of course, the work of Christ. This is not something that we muster on ourselves. This is not a vision we engineered on our own. It's not something that's compelling uh, that we just uh, imagine, but it's actually patterned after the ways that Christ has been leaning into the world. Uh, Christ himself is described as a kind of worker. Uh, we're told that he was a carpenter. We're also told that his few years of ministry was also uh, considered work. Uh, and what's more interesting, though, is that Christ has been regularly described as taking part in the work of creation. And so uh, when creation happened, God was actually there working to create the world. And then so much as a God as creator is still actively working to sustain and nourish and build up and direct all parts of creation, he is also acting as a creator in the world. And when the, when the world was made, we were made as image bearers, people who were 
Uh, you can think of it kind of being like a mirror. We're mirroring God into the world, his character and his attributes. We're supposed to reflect them into our callings. And uh, for us, a major, major part of that is to be workers. And so we're supposed to be stewards who are patterning our work after the way God worked in some ways. And that's part of what really gives our work meaning and significance. And uh, that's why we can say that no matter what we have, even if you're a slave, you can say that job in some way uh, matters. Well, work is also countercultural because in some ways Christ's mission was countercultural. Uh, Jesus was somebody who was not unlike the freedman. Uh, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who is owed allegiance and fealty and adoration and devotion from every single part of uh, the corners of creation and every single part, every single breath and thought and desire of every human being. And yet despite this, he willingly, voluntarily became a bond servant to uh, those who failed to offer him the worship they were supposed to. The master has now become a slave so that those in slavery could be considered free. It's this fact that is the basis for our own church community and how we can develop an, uh, a vision to be equitable against uh, the world around us and to create a community that turns upside down what our culture is doing. It's looking to Jesus and his grace that he's offered to us that empowers us to offer the same grace to others. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that your spirit would work in us to make us more like your son. Uh, people who value others like you do, people who see the worth that has been ascribed and imputed to us through the work of your, your son on the cross, and we pray that you would deepen our longings for your kingdom, and would you grow us in service to each other. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.